Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. While some Canadian doctors have been refuting the COVID-19 pandemic online, is the information they're spreading factual or disinformation? And while Ontario is still trying to recover from the first two waves of the pandemic, there's talk of us getting a third wave. Are we moving towards another lockdown? And most Ontarians are concerned about Canada's COVID-19 vaccination rates compared to other countries, according to the latest polling. Nick Kovalis from Campaign Research joins us with those details. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to get into, well, one of the more controversial aspects of what's gone on with COVID and the, the pandemic and the response to it over the last little while. The seemed to be an awful lot of us on the same page uh, when this started in the first wave about, you know, how severe this was and, and we've got to do something to contain this. I get that. And I understand there's been pandemic fatigue, but there seemed to be a growing number of not just ordinary folks, but uh, even physicians uh, and folks in the medical fields that, that are speaking out now and suggesting that, look, this is not as bad as everybody thought it was. Uh, and some rather incredible statements being made by some now and i know this is not new you know donald trump when he was president dragged a few of these folks out who came out of there and said this is all a hoax there's no such thing and etc 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 and you take that with a grain of salt and you have weighed that against the dr fauci's and and others that were speaking about exactly what we needed to do here but uh there's a a video right now that's making the uh, the rounds in, in social media with a number of canadian doctors that are basically suggesting that look at you know we've overreacted to this uh we well one of them suggested we don't even need vaccines for this and uh, that you know we're we're much better off without this and we're just kind of getting sucked in here by some of the hyperbole from some of the medical experts i know pretty bold statements uh one of them is uh, dr carolyn turek who's a, apparently an ontario doctor uh, and uh, she says that uh, we're closer to immunity than we realize do you know that many of us are already immune to sars-cov-2 due to cross-reactive t-cells A T-cell is just another immune cell that helps our body fight infection. At the beginning of the pandemic, SARS-CoV-2 was considered a novel coronavirus, meaning that none of us were immune to it and all of us were still at risk for infection. However, immunologists and virologists worldwide have studied and found that 30 to 50% of people already have pre-existing immunity to SARS-CoV-2 from pre-existing circulating T-cells. This pre-existing immunity is due to prior exposure from other coronaviruses, such as the common cold. So the problem is with testing for COVID immunity is most of the tests are serum antibody tests, but this doesn't look at our T cell response and antibody levels decline over time, but we still have our T cells to protect us. Many, many of us are more protected than we realize from COVID from our T cells. This is exciting news because we are closer to herd immunity than we realize. So that's a, a medical doctor, Dr. Turek. Uh, we're told an Ontario doctor. The question I had as soon as I saw this, of course, is, well, if, if this is such good news and if this is what we should should be believing there, why are the experts telling us something different? Why are those who, who study this, epidemiologists, disease specialists, saying, no, this is not the way it is at all? So we're getting much different points of view on this. To try to sift through all this, we're so pleased to welcome to the program Marcus Kolga. Uh, Marcus is a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Centre for Advancing Canadian Interests Abroad. He is a, an award-winning journalist and uh, filmmaker uh, with a well-earned reputation for separating fact from fiction in his work, and uh, that's why we're so pleased uh, to have him on the program today. Marcus, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Marcus, a lot of us are scratching our heads right now. We're trying to weigh what we're hearing from from Dr. Tam, from medical officers of health, from experts in in the field of disease specialists, and now uh, we're getting this these voices from from other medical professionals that are simply saying, "Look, at you guys are getting sucked in here. This is no big deal. How how, how do we try to to well get fact from fiction out of this?" Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. And this is something that I've been looking at for a number of years, and specifically with COVID. Um, over the past year, where the information space has really become so noisy and polluted with various different narratives about the disease and, and how to address it. Um, let me begin by saying that um, debate about COVID and our policies towards it is completely welcome. That is normal. Uh, sure. you know, fact-based, fact-based debate about politics, policy, and these sorts of issues is a normal part of our society, and it is, it is a foundation upon which our democracy is built. 
So there is nothing wrong with debating uh, any sort of policy as long as they're based on facts. And this is where we you know, sort of come to a problem with the uh, the video that you're that you're mentioning. Um, you know, where do I begin with this? Um, first of all, the platform that it was posted to is, is called BitChute. Um, BitChute is a, a video platform for individuals and organizations who have been kicked off mainstream platforms for posting uh, conspiracy theories, far-right uh, content and such. And so it's a real hive for, uh, like I said, conspiracy theories and, and disinformation and such. And, and, you know, having a group of doctors come out and uh, refute the experts is, is not a new thing, as you mentioned. Um, back in the summer, we saw this happen in Germany with a, an organization called the World Alliance of Doctors. Um, this was a sort of a motley crew of, of various different, you know, homeopaths, uh, orthodontists, dentists, general practitioners as well, all of whom are surely experts in their own field. Um, and, and I'm sure that the, you know, the dentists there knew a lot about dentistry. But we're talking about a very specific field here, epidemiology, virology, the study of viruses and how they're spread. And so um, we have experts in that field and we rely on the information they provide for us. And that's what we base a lot of our decision making on, um, you know, look, to give it a sort of a real world context. If you had, say, uh, an ulcer in your stomach, you wouldn't go to your orthodontist to ask that person to fix it. Just as, you know, if you had a brain tumor, you wouldn't go to the pediatrician, the foot or, or pediatric, uh, not pediatric, um, podiatrist to the foot doctor to, to ask that person to diagnose what's going on. Um, just like with this virus, we go to epidemiologists uh, to get that information. And so, you know, we want to, tr- we should be trusting what the experts are saying. And while these doctors may have their own views on the facts, it becomes problematic when we start reinterpreting facts when we start introducing facts that or information that's not fact-based and the threat in all of this is that it actually intensifies the effect of COVID the problem that we're having it promotes and legitimizes vaccine hesitancy um, these anti-mask movements where you have people who refuse to wear masks Um, so when doctors and politicians you mentioned Donald Trump um, there's an Ontario MPP who has been very vocal in, uh, you know, uh, legitimizing these sorts of the doubts about COVID. Um, but more than, more than a couple of them, Marcus. More, yeah, One of them exactly. got of, yeah, Randy Hillier and, and, well, both have been booted out of caucus. Right, and a federal MP uh, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, when they start, uh, you know, repeating and spouting this nonsense, it's, first of all, it's completely irresponsible. Um, and it does legitimize these doubts. And when we start doubting our experts, when we start doubting our elected officials and the health officials who are trying to protect us, that's when we have a breakdown of society. And, and, you know, we're still a breakdown of our democracy. So this is, this is a really pretty serious problem. And Ontarians need to be, and Canadians in general, need to be very aware when they see this sort of information that goes completely against the grain, goes completely against the you know, common sense in general. And you just need to check who these people are. You can Google them quickly and you'll find out very quickly that these, these are not epidemiologists. They are not in any way, shape or form experts on the spread of disease. So, um, you know, I think, on, like I said, Canadians and Ontarians need to be responsible. Check the facts that they're seeing. Uh, before, uh, you know, believing anything like this. I mean, I mean, you're always going to find people that have contrary opinions. I mean, they, even the sure. task force that Trump had about this, remember the guy that ended up running it just near the end there, was he was an anesthetist. He was not a disease specialist in any way, shape, or form, but he was a Donald Trump advocate, and he, whatever Trump said, he agreed with. As a matter of fact, one of the guys in the video that you and I are talking about here, Marcus, uh, is, was an anesthetist as well, uh, said that he had COVID, and he just treated it with vitamin C and D, and he was good in seven days. Now, if <laughs> first of all, you know, we have to take him at his word that he had COVID, uh, yep. Secondly, if it was as simple as simply taking more vitamins than we usually take, uh, and bingo, you're cured, do you think somebody in the Center for Disease Control or in Health Canada would have thought the same thing? <laughs> That's a great point. You know, if it were that simple, well, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we spending all this money? Why are we spending all this time looking for vaccines? You know, I, I mean, the vitamin C aside, I mean, there are so many other cures that you could look at. I know there was one 
that we were tracking out of uh, out of Europe uh, early on, say around uh, March, April last year, that said that if you took goose fat and spread it all over your body and mix it with mustard, that that would protect you from COVID. I mean, it's 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 nonsense. The, the problem is that you have a a someone who is a medical expert, you know, uh, you know, certainly not an epidemiologist. When they say that you know you can take lots of vitamin, copious amounts of vitamin C, go outside and get fresh air. They give the, uh, the the impression that this will give you some sort of immunity against the virus, which is completely untrue. But if you, even if you have one person believing this sort of nonsense, it puts a lot of other people at risk. If one person gets the virus because they believe this, they could spread it to tens, hundreds of potentially thousands of people. Um, so that's the real problem here when you have, uh, you know, doctors, uh, quote unquote, doctors. Uh, promoting these sorts of, uh, you know, just untrue uh, medical, uh, this medical advice that, that simply isn't based on fact. Well, I mean, one of them is actually even advocating the use of hydroxychloroquine. I mean, are we going down that road again? You know, what's next, injecting bleach? I mean, that was already explored at the request of the ex-president, and uh, the Center for Disease Control and just about every other agency around the world said, no, no, it has absolutely no impact at all. Uh, you know, doesn't doesn't might even hurt you, as a matter of fact. But here's this guy saying this is the cure. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there are those sorts of claims that are complete. They're not based on any sort of fact, and they're simply, you know, false and, and dangerous. But there were a lot of other claims in that video, which we've heard before, time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, which are sort of the the key here is, and the, the way that they trick us is that they're based on a grain of truth. So one of them that I always hear coming up is this uh, this claim about the PCR test. This is the test for the for the uh, antibodies, that it's unreliable and such. And so the grain of truth there is that, yeah, you know, every single medical test can produce some errors. There's, you know, there's no test that is completely 100% bulletproof. But the PCR test, the way that we test for COVID, is considered extremely accurate by the experts, the experts, the epidemiologists who look specifically at this virus. And so it's, you know, we can trust the test. Will there be some false positives? Yes. But is, is, are most of the positives uh, false? Absolutely not. And then there, you know, there are a whole whack of other claims in this. There's another uh, one that I, I noted that um, someone was claiming in that video that there's no asymptomatic spread of the mm-hmm. virus. That means those people without symptoms before they uh, acquire those symptoms or exhibit those symptoms, that they don't spread the virus. Um, that's complete nonsense. Uh, a, a recent uh, journal of the American Medical Association said that 50% of all spread of the virus comes from asymptomatic people. So what these uh, this doctor is promoting is, you know, saying that, you know, wearing a mask is, is sort of pointless. If you're sick, you're sick, you're in bed, but there's no point in wearing a mask. Well, you know, anyone believing that and not wearing a mask is putting others at risk and themselves at risk. And so there's, a, I mean, there's an entire list, all of these facts that are presented here. There's Some of them have a grain of truth to them but they're all you know i would say dangerous well and we got a, a larger problem here too i mean the other one that, that just astounds me of course and because i've heard it so many different places right now is that uh, they're taking any woman who wants to have children sometime in the future should not get the the vaccine uh, because it could ruin their reproductive organs i mean <laughs> there is absolutely no proof to that no evidence nothing at all but it's out there and and we're getting into i guess a, a bigger problem here when we look at this stuff marcus is uh, there's so much information and misinformation out there that what it's easy to gravitate to a web page or to a video like this that substantiates your doubt or substantiates your, your your point of view that this is all crazy i mean there's always going to be somebody that's going to agree with you and if you see it on social media you say aha see i was right yeah you're i mean you're absolutely right and there are a lot of these uh, platforms that are taking advantage of it some of them are fly by night uh you know the guys that want to make a quick buck so when you click on any stories that are on their site they get you know a few cents to a few dollars each time you click on them so there are those types of people you know sneak oil salesman types um you know the 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 issue here though is that uh what canadians need to be doing is is you know taking a hard look at the information that's being uh, presented to them um there are a few very simple things that can be done and i i often uh, tell this to my my parents my parents are are uh, baby boomers um you know, what I, what I say to them is that, you know, if you see something on Facebook, check first, first of all, look at the claim that's being made there. Search it online. If, if it sounds outrageous, it, it probably is. And 
somebody will have debunked it and you'll get the facts on it. The second thing to do is always, when you're on social media, check who's sharing this. If it's not coming from a source that you've heard of, um, it probably is one of these fly-by-nights. And you can search those names as well and find out whether they're credible or not. Um, and then by doing those two things, you can sort of clean out the your personal sort of information and media environment that you're that you're in and clear out a bit of that fog and push away the stuff that, you know, you really shouldn't be paying attention to. And this is something that can, all Canadians need to be doing more of in order to uh, navigate the currently like very polluted information space a little bit more safely. Well, and, you know, the old antenna, you know, your, your spidey sense should kick in here, you know, and you get a doctor like the one we just ran here that says, look, you don't need a vaccine. We already have antibodies about this. It wasn't really a coronavirus. I mean, right off the bat, you should say, well, okay, you know, what's something going on here? And, and that, and they were in lies the frustration with things like this. And, and I, to your point, as we began the conversation, uh, I have no problem at all debating methodologies and, and things. You know, we want to talk about maybe the lockdowns are, are overextended, maybe they're too severe, maybe they're too all-encompassing. Let's have that discussion. Let's have that yeah. debate. Uh, let's talk about, you know, what should be open and what shouldn't be and, and things of that nature because I think those are things that need to be discussed. But you can't, if we're going to start doubting the science, I think we're, we're really taking a huge step backward here. I mean, are we going to start treating this stuff with leeches next? And I just, this is the 21st <laughs> century. We should, shouldn't we embrace the 21st century technology yeah no you know you're right i mean what it comes down to is just common sense you know um you know we're uh, way past debating whether this virus is a real thing you know it's it's a real thing there are you know there's unfortunately a rather high body count right now we know that it's because of this virus um we we know people i mean most of us know someone who's been sick with it um it's it's real so anyone who's you know at this point, still questioning whether this is real or whether a vaccine works um, is, you know, I, I don't know what you know planet they're living in, but there will always be let's go, people who debate that the world is flat, you know, these sure, you know, or, still. or whether Hillary Clinton is is running a um, a, a vampire uh, pedophile ring, you know, these there are people who will believe that and will promote those facts. Will always be there. Uh, but if we can use our common sense, um, you know, hopefully that will prevail and uh, and help us pull it, uh, pull us out of this infodemic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up the idea about the vaccines, too. I mean, because we're getting news about the AstraZeneca stuff already. I mentioned that on my commentary this morning. Um, do the math, people. 17 million people have got the shot and seven people had a bad reaction. And there's no no linkage at all that it was because of that uh you know if you took 17 million people of any area with anything you're probably going to find more than seven people that have medical problems like blood clots or something it happens sadly uh, and that's not to downplay the uh, the importance and the you know the concern about blood clots but why all of a sudden tied to the vaccine well because you wanted to that's why yep no and it plays into that fear that we have you know this it's been a stressful year for everyone and our nerves are all frayed and so, uh, you know, when you see some information about that, whether you're a journalist or you know, just a citizen, um, it's, it's unnerving. And it's unfortunately that, you know, stories like this get over-sensationalized by, uh, uh, you know, a media, a media that's hungry for clicks, as I mentioned earlier. And it's not just those mm-hmm. fly-by-nights, but regular media also wants those clicks. And, and that's where you get these stories uh, spinning out of control. And as you said, you know, uh, the blood clots, from what I've read, um, clotting is unfortunately one of the uh, symptoms of, uh, of COVID as well. So it could be anything. And like you said, it's, it's certainly there's no causal link to the uh, to the vaccine. Marcus, always great to get your perspective on this. Thanks so much for the time today. It's greatly appreciated. Anytime, Bill. Take care. Marcus Colga, of course, senior fellow with the McDonald Laurier Center for Advancing Canadians' Interests Abroad and for Finding the Truth which we continually need to do in this circumstance. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Are we heading towards or already in a third wave of the pandemic? Uh, While Ontario is still trying to recover from the first two waves of the pandemic, there's now talk of the province entering a third wave. Global's Brianna Carnegie reports. 
Citing a sharp increase in new variant cases and rising admissions to intensive care units, Ontario's Hospital Association warns the province has entered a third wave of the pandemic. It says the declaration was made based on new data released by the province's science advisory table. The association says variant cases now make up about 49% of total cases and ICU numbers are nearing 350. Reporters look to Ontario's top doctor for confirmation. The modelers are looking at to say that we could be going into a third wave. Dr. David Williams adds the province had a dip in cases but is now rising again. Is it a slight undulation? Is it a large wave? Is it a moderate wave? To be determined. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. So let's get some clarification on this and, and the strategy going forward. And to that end, we're so pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Peter Uni. Uh, Dr. Uni is a professor of medicine and epidemiology at the University of Toronto, and he's a director of that Ontario Science Advisory Table that Brianna just mentioned a few minutes ago. Doctor, pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've, you've analyzed the numbers, Doctor. What, what do you see? Are we already are we approaching a third wave? Are we already starting to see the signs? Are we in it and don't realize it yet? Yeah, well, we're unfortunately in it and don't fully realize it yet. If you just look at the pandemic within the pandemic, and that's basically what goes on with the new variants, it's clear there's absolutely nothing that can, uh, you know, save us from the third wave. There are no miracles happening there. So unfortunately, we're in it. And you mentioned a pandemic within a pandemic. I, that, that fascinating phrase there. But I mean, I, I guess this is in relation to the fact that we're still doing with the virus, of course, the, the, the COVID-19 virus and the variant or variants, because there seem to be three or four different modes here uh, that are impacting this. And, and the numbers I've seen, doctor, seem to indicate that the, the number of new cases, uh, it used to be, well, yeah, it's, it's the old COVID-19 and a few of the variants. Uh, the variants seem to, to be outweighing and actually there seem to be more of those cases than there are of the old virus. Yeah, it's uh, about to take over now. You know, this is this, these new variants, they just have a turbo now. That's the problem. They're 40% more transmissible, and that makes our life absolutely miserable right now. But this will only be short-term pain. You know, this is short-term pain for long-term gain now. If we do the right thing, especially in the Golden Horseshoe, we will be okay. But we can't wait and be complacent now or believe in miracles. There are no miracles. So those of us that are saying, well, come on, we've got this thing under control, the vaccine's on the way, uh, let's just, just ease up on the social distancing, uh, maybe wear the mask, maybe not wear the mask, that's probably not the best protocol. Oh, no, really not. You know, we need to be aware of, we have all Israel in front of our eyes, you know, our, in our imagination, uh, what they did, how they pulled it off with the vaccines, etc. We need to realize that Israel lifted their lockdown measures when 38% of the population was vaccinated. We are far away from that. And even then they struggled. And even then, even right now, they still have a higher death rate than we do. So the vaccines will help us. This will be relatively soon, but just not right now. It's it's a problem. We can't change it. These these uh, variants of concern are just kicking in a little bit too early. If they had been four to six weeks later, I would be you know much less concerned. But right now we're in, we're just challenged. It's just as it is. We need to deal with it, and we can do that anyway. I, and I, I, I hear the same thing that you do, doctor, but, you know, well, come on, we're getting the vaccine and that, that's starting to roll out and there's new doses that are coming in. Uh, we're not going to win that race, are we? I mean, the vaccine is is coming. We know that. But the virus is already here. Yes, exactly. So remember what I just said. 38% of the population in Israel had at least the first dose of the vaccine when Israel started to lift the lockdown. We are far from there. So we really, really, really need to have other measures as well. That's unfortunate. I hate it too, but, you know, it's just the reality. We need to face the music right now. So how do how do we go forward then, Doctor, in a situation like this? Uh, we want to nip this thing in the bud. We don't want it to, to, to have the same extent as the, the first and second wave did. Uh, we know the nicer weather is coming. The virus seems to decrease a little bit because of the weather because we're outside more often, and that's good news. But we can't wait for that. You're, you're suggesting we have to act now. Yeah, first of all, we need to really distinguish, and we're still learning about that part between parts of the province that are really challenged right now already and other parts that still, uh, you know, are more at ease. That's really important. So it's really the region around Toronto, which is the challenging part right now, and we're looking at that actually uh, uh, as I speak uh, to uh, just, you know, figure out the patterns a bit better. 
Uh, and then we just should react relatively swiftly from my perspective. But I'm not the one, of course, to make the decision. I just can share, you know, my thoughts about that mm-hmm. with you guys right now. We need just to react relatively swiftly here because it's inevitable. That's the problem. You know, when you look at the growth that we have for these new variants, there will not all of a sudden just be a change. They will not just start to decrease on their own. They were relatively unimpressed by our lockdown that we had in January. Remember how things looked there. The, uh, the new variants merrily grew during that time. And of course, they grow more now because we open up more. So we need to do something to gain a little bit of time so that the vaccines can kick in. So what would you suggest? Uh, you, we keep talking about shutting things down again. And, and you know, there's an awful lot of pushback these days about that, Doctor. A lot of people just say enough is enough. Uh, but at the same time, if it's a tool that works, I think we have to have a discussion about it. Yeah, it's a problem. No, it's, I think those of us who really follow the numbers really carefully are just aware of that. You know, the only tool we have, and I know it's blunt, is indeed the lockdowns. The, the point is, we should do everything to make the lockdowns as efficient as possible, you know, that it can be short and harsh rather than prolonged. And that's where, you know, we then need to think about the stories we have right now that the uh, new variants are spilling over from public health unit to public health unit, from region to region. You know, it's not ideal, for instance, that uh, York is in a different situation than Toronto is, etc. And we need to address that part. And we just need to try to become as efficient as possible that we can perhaps, you know, do something for two to three weeks and then we're hopefully over with. But we need to look into that a bit, a bit better to understand how we can deal with it. It's blunt. It's depressing. I know all of that. It's the only tool we have right now already available that will help us and the vaccines will come a bit later but they will come that's definite that's uh, i guess part of your job isn't it doctor i mean you've got to give you know the tough medicine sometimes we may not like it but you know hey you know if you want to lose weight mr so-and-so you've got to stop doing this and and but i like doing that well you got to stop okay those are the choices and i guess we, we, we've got some difficult choices to make here don't we yeah, it's indeed the case. You know, I hate, I hate breaking the bad news here, but especially just for the Golden Horseshoe, I can't see any alternative than additional restrictions. And I know people hate, hate to hear this message. Uh, but it's going to take some political will to do that as well. But you suggest that if we do this intensely over a short period of time, that that, that would do the trick, that would at least curtail the growth? Yeah, you see, the point is that we never in this province were able to quite be as harsh as, for uh, for instance, uh, um, Ireland. You know, Ireland really had a real challenge with the variants after Christmas, around Christmas, and they had absolutely explosive growth. And, uh, you know, luckily we're not there, and that's great. But then they were able to really just shut down harshly. This also, you know, then typically includes, I'm sorry to say, mobility restrictions. They're also in a better position that they have, you know, a better social system, meaning they have paid sick leave. It helps helps tremendously too. And uh, all of that just made their lockdowns just much more efficient than our lockdowns. That's really helpful. This then means you're able to bend the curve and bring numbers down. If we do the lockdown at the intensity we had in January, and again, people will hate to hear that from me, uh, then we will just be able, you know, to flatten the curve a bit, but we will not completely bend it downwards. The best bet we could do is now to, you know, everybody helps here. And everybody takes it seriously for three weeks, and we really bring the numbers down. But that needs a lot more discipline than what we had in January, a lot more. I, I juxtapose what you're saying, Doctor, against what we're hearing from some of the politicians. Uh, they're starting to gear down some of those support programs that have been in place, uh, as you say, whether it's uh, sick leave programs or compensation for salaries and things of this nature. Uh, if, if they're going to follow your advice, they're, they're going to have to reverse their ideas here and simply say, no, we've got to maintain those at least for another three weeks. We need to enable those people who are most vulnerable to do the right thing, and they can only do the right thing if their existence doesn't fall apart. It's very simple, no? So we need to support people there. You know, I'm a, as you can hear from my accent, I'm originally from Switzerland. For a Swiss or a Western European, this is an absolute no-brainer. If you have more social security, also for conservative governments, you know, it's the same. If you have more social security, this means that you can make these measures more efficient because people are actually allowed to do the right thing. The less social security, the more this all gets leaky because people need to uh, put food on the table of their kids. 
So they go to work anyway, even though they shouldn't, because they were exposed or are symptomatic. And that's the challenge right now. Right now, we just need to have a few more weeks and do the right thing, even though it may not completely fit into the North American culture. We need to do the right thing now and act strongly and they really just have the right, you know, tools in our toolbox to make this as efficient as we can so that we then can start to loosen up after that when vaccines kick in. It's not so long anymore. We're nearly there. We can do that. But now we just need to do the right thing. Well, on this program, Doctor, you're preaching to the choir when we come. I think North America could learn a lot from Scandinavian and European countries uh, when it comes to, to those programs. Uh, maybe if I could just ask you to step back for a second and talk about the, 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 the coronavirus and, and the variant that that's deal, we're dealing with right now. Uh, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that it's, it spreads more quickly. Maybe Give us an idea of exactly what we are dealing with here, because we've heard stories that it's more severe, uh, that it could lead to more hospitalizations, which is a frightening prospect. What, what are we dealing with? here and what are we looking at so first of all it's more transmissible and our data here from ontario directly indicate the 40 percent ballpark that we've heard you know coming from the uk etc is exactly correct so about 40 percent more transmissible which is a challenge in itself in addition we have relatively good data internationally that indicate now that yes uh, given the same amount of infections out there that it's a bit more deadly about 30 to 60 percent more deadly this is not the main driver, you know, of the problem. The main driver is really uh, the, the, the higher transmissibility. And now we're actually looking this afternoon at the science table also into severity of disease in terms of ICU admissions and hospitalizations, etc. And we have some preliminary signals that there's a, there's a challenge there too, which is not helpful right now. So, you know, taken together, unfortunately, you know, we need to, to just work with the cards we are dealt. And right now these cards are not exciting, but we just still can do that and we just need to do it. We can, if we help each other and stay now, you know, just really in this mode of, okay, we, we, we basically just work together on getting this done and fix this now, then we can do it. But it really means that everybody is helping now. We can't let this slip now. It's just too challenging. Uh, I want to pivot for just a second here because, well, I've got you. I wanted to, to get your opinion on uh, what's going on with vaccines these days uh, very quickly. Uh, the AstraZeneca, vet, vet, a lot of controversy about this. Some European countries have already halted the, the vaccination with the AstraZeneca because of the concerns that were raised. Uh, 17 million people have been inoculated, and there were seven cases that have yet to be tied to it, but some people have decided to, to make that connection. Uh, are you concerned about, the, about that va vaccine? No, not at all. You know, the point really is right now, we're talking about extremely rare events that continue to happen everywhere, irrespective of the vaccine. With or without vaccines, some of these events, like some of the, you know, of the, uh, of the uh, brain thrombosis that were out there, they happen at the same pace, whether there's the vaccine out there or not. And it's very unlikely that there's a connection causally between the vaccine and these, and, uh, and, uh, these events. It's good that people take it seriously, you know, and that the European Medicines Agency looks into that. That's all good. That's really important. But we need to be aware of that. That, that, that we, you know, we, we, we start to be a bit confused with numbers here. Remember, 4,300 accidents per 1 million cars happen in Ontario every year and that's called a causal relationship nobody will stop driving a car 21 fatal car accidents in the province for 1 million cars nobody will stop driving a car okay and this is against four brain thrombosis per 1 million vaccine in germany vaccines in germany that probably don't have to do anything with the vaccines so you see that th there's a discrepancy there if we start to just look into that again and remember how reality actually looked like before the pandemic, we wouldn't be worried about the car accidents. But now we start to be overly sensitive if it is about, uh, you know, brain, brain thrombosis or so. It's just not appropriate. It's good to take it seriously. But right now we need just to use all the vaccines we have and vaccinate the right people as fast as we can to get this thing under control. So um, it's good to continue the discussion, but let's not be neurotic here. And very quickly, I, the governing body, of course, here in Canada has now said that that vaccine is now good for people over 65 as well. Uh, I just want to assure people and get your assurance from that, Dr. Uni, that that decision was based on U.K. studies. In other words, the data they had from the people over 65 who have already had the vaccine. Yes, that's correct. 
So uh, we, we, we know it from, uh, from the UK that based on you know, observational studies they did, generating real-world evidence, that um, we now just are you know, closing the gap that we had. The initial trials didn't have many people above the age of 65 included. This is, a, this is changing now. And if we now look at these observational data and compare the effects that we have you know, for Pfizer, as compared with, uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, it looks very similar short term also in, in, uh, in people who are, you know, 65 or above. And that's good news. Right now, once more, every vaccine that is approved in Canada right now is a great vaccine. And we just need to now move on. They're all better than the influenza vaccines. And even so, we have high octane vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. They are just really tremendously important, basically, for long-term care homes. That's what people got there. For the rest of us, you know, whatever of these three vaccines, and then hopefully, uh, you know, a fourth as well from Johnson & Johnson, they're all good. And I'm not just saying that. Doctor, always great to get your perspective on a very busy day today. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me, and good luck. Thank you, sir. And to you, too. Dr. Peter Uni, uh, Professor of Medicine and Epidemiologist, and, of course, one of the directors of the Ontario Science Advisory Table. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Vaccines, vaccine programs, vaccine rollouts, and efficacy of the vaccines. Everybody's talking about these days, and with just cause, obviously, because of what's going on, as we just heard from uh, in our previous segment here from Dr. Uni about uh, the third wave that's coming on now. Well, the Prime Minister tried to reassure us yesterday, it is during uh, his daily briefing, uh, when he says that Health Canada regulators regularly analyze information about vaccines and have guaranteed that those approved in Canada are safe for use. Health Canada uh, and our experts and scientists have spent an awful lot of time uh, making sure that every vaccine uh, approved in Canada is both safe and effective. Therefore, the best vaccine for you to take is the very first one that is offered to you. So, is that reassuring to Canadians? Well, let's find out, uh, because the good folks at Campaign Research have done some polling uh, to find out how we are feeling about the government program and uh, how effective it's been. And uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Nick Cavallis, who is a principal at Campaign Research. Uh, Nick, great to have you back in the program. Hope you're doing well these days. Great to be here. Thank you. I am. And yourself, sir? So far, so good. Uh, it's only been a year, but, but uh, we're getting there, slowly but surely. Let, let's talk about uh, about the, the feelings of Canadians. Uh, you guys have an excellent job of getting the pulse of what's going on. Uh, and uh, you know, as we've talked about in the past, every time you guys want to do one of these polls, it's a snapshot in time. But compare this to a snapshot from just a little while ago when you guys did a previous thing, and there's a marked difference in uh, in the number of people that want to get vaccines, and we're going to get to that in a second. But let's, let's talk about the overall rating. Are, are Canadians happy with what's going on here? Not when they're asked about how Canada is performing uh, on vaccinating its population compared to other countries. They're not. Uh, they don't give the government high marks. So 2% say that uh, the government's doing an excellent job. 12% say that the government's doing a good job. 29% say the government's doing a fair job. And 51% say the government's doing a poor job. Uh, so, uh, which pretty much validates, I guess, a lot of the stuff that we've heard over the last couple of weeks from uh, from average citizens that are very concerned about this and the rollout uh, and, and, and the impact that it's having on this. Uh, and it's interesting to see, uh, as these numbers come out, uh, I was mentioning earlier in the program that there is a direct link between uh, political futures and, and the efficacy of the vaccine rollout program. Uh, because let's face it, there may be a federal election anytime soon. Uh, we know there's going to be an election in Ontario next uh, June. Uh, and uh, they're, they're obviously concerned about the feedback on this. So this is, this is important data for them, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, really important. It's, it's very interesting, right? Uh, over the last three months, we've had, you know, just over 50% of the population saying that they want the vaccine and they want it right away. And now it's just over 60% that say they want the vaccine and they want it right away. And that's a good thing, right? Because back in uh, October, November, everyone was talking about getting the vaccine and getting through this. And, and there was a lot of discussion about making the vaccine mandatory and, and you know, a lot of pressure coming for everyone to get vaccinated and a lot of um, disdain for people who suggested maybe they didn't want the vaccine or they wanted to wait and see. And boy, things have changed now, right? Now you have the public saying, yeah, they want it, but we can't seem to get it. And so they're quite unhappy about um, that. And then when you ask them, 
you know, who's responsible for acquisition. That You know, three-quarters of Ontario voters, uh, this poll was in Ontario, say the federal government. When you ask them who's responsible for distributing the vaccine once it gets to Ontario, you know, more than two-thirds say it's the province of Ontario, the government of Ontario. And who do they blame the most for the lack of vaccines? It's um, 57% blame the feds and and uh, 14% blame the provincial government. So it's, it's pretty bad for Trudeau, who who really seems would like an election um, this spring. Uh, I, yeah, I think the chances of that are getting slimmer and slimmer with every one of these polls that come out. Uh, and, and again, more promises about vaccines are on the way from di- from different manufacturers at this stage. Uh, but uh, once bitten, twice shy, I think, isn't it, Nick? I mean, you know, we've heard that that promise before, uh, and then we saw we went through hell in February here with virtually you know little to nothing in the way of vaccines. Uh, so I, I think from from your polling here, what a lot of Canadians seem to be feeling right now is we'll we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah, yeah, they really want, I think, like, everyone wants the government to do well, and they want the different levels of government to work together, um, and they want, you know, the spread of COVID to be stopped. Um, that's their focus, and they really believe the vaccine's the way there, to get back to normality, and there's no vaccine. And uh, Justin Trudeau is, you know, he is uh, bringing in new vaccines. Um, they're not as uh, good as the, the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, they're they're changing the intervals. Uh, they you know they're making a big. I just heard it on your program at the top here about um, about how you know they go to great pains to make sure the vaccines are safe. Um, but you know there's a big debate going on about the um, AstraZeneca and a lot of countries pulling back from it and the interval being four months and that's not. Uh, what the manufacturer has suggested and there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of debate going on and Canadians, you know, are in tune to it all. So it's not looking good for the prime minister at the moment. That's interesting, Nick, to, to understand that because you're right. We, I, I'm getting the same feeling that you are in the polling that you guys did reflects this, that uh, Canadians are paying attention and, and they're doing their homework on this stuff and uh, because there is an interest and especially, as you say, an increased interest now in trying to get the vaccination. Uh, they want to know what's going on with the vaccine and the efficacy of the different vaccines and, and the concerns about AstraZeneca, for instance, you know, what's going on in Europe and, you know, does it apply here? And uh, They're in tune about this and I guess they're getting frustrated by the fact they say we're getting mixed messaging here uh we want to believe you guys but you can't say one thing on monday and another thing on tuesday that's right it it, it is it is tough right because the, the the projections for hospitals being full and icus being full have always have never proven to be what what actually happened um, and so there's there's skepticism amongst the public. So there's still high marks for the, our doctors and our medical community and scientific advisors and and relatively speaking, politicians are still getting high marks as well. Um, but but there's a lot of debate. You know, there's there's just a ton of debate about whether it's true. I mean, when they're constantly telling us that the that we have to close everything to protect the hospitals. Um, and then the cases are going to go to 6,000 a day and they're just over a thousand a day. And, and people are saying that they said this before. I mean, you can't blame them for being skeptical about anything they're hearing from government. Well, and it, I think part of the problem here, and you've dipped your toe into the political waters more than once, Nick, so you understand, uh, you can't overpromise because if you do, then you're really setting yourself up to fail, aren't you? I think so. I think like setting timelines and saying we're going to have it all done by this date really hurt Trudeau, right? I I remember the prime minister back in late November, early December, basically dressing down the provinces and saying that they better get ready before December 31st because the vaccines are going to be here. And he was he was taking a political shot and then the vaccines didn't get here. Um, and they're not here, and here we are three months, four months later, and other countries have way more people vaccinated and have a better um, program that's being executed. Uh, Our programs are still pretty much theoretical because we just haven't had three million vaccines show up so that we can test out our systems and our processes. Well, the other line that stuck out for me, too, that the Prime Minister, I wish, I guess, probably wish he'd taken back, uh, is when he was, well, if essentially bragging about the fact that he said, we have ordered more vaccines per capita than any other country in the world. 
Uh, and with that, that gave us, I think, this uh, sense of assurance that, hey, we're going to be okay. This is going to roll out just fine. There's going to be more than enough for everybody here, uh, and, and we're going to get this thing under control. And, and that never came to fruition. Yeah, I think the line was, we have the most diverse vaccine portfolio the, yeah. in the world. And they continue to say that, that they have the most diverse vaccine portfolio in the world. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a millionaire, too. Just don't ask me to show you where the million dollars is. It's somewhere. <laughs> it's just out there somewhere. <laughs> but it's it, it's th- this this whole thing about like I said because we are paying attention. I mean, you know, to continually come out like this. Uh, if it, it's the old saying, if if you're going to do it, you better back it up. And if you can't, then fine. Uh, and we saw an example of this. And I know that you guys talked about this too. That it, the comparator is our neighbors to the south are are acing this thing. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, they got the vaccines on time. I mean, they had a bit of a slowdown when we did in February, but never to the same extent. Uh, Biden promised a hundred million vaccines in 100 days and it looks like he's going to exceed that and when you look at that and say how come these guys can do it and we can't well on the vaccine yes and you know yeah. the good news uh, on the other side of it though i i think that there is some good stuff that the federal government uh of of jean Chrétien and paul martin and stephen harper and justin trudeau um and the provincial governments can take some credit altogether in is that you know, Ontario per capita deaths are much lower than New York, Ohio, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Illinois, uh, Quebec, right? I, I really think that they should be able to all point to that and say, okay, well, we did better than them here, and these are the reasons why. And then here's where we're not doing as well, and these are the reasons why, and let's get on with fixing it. Yeah, every time you start getting into that uh, the compare game, I mean, you have it, it can be relative to what you're doing there, but there is some good news in that, and uh, and you're right. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised the government actually hasn't hasn't you know embraced that and said, look at here are the statistics you guys really need to know, uh, because we've seen the cases go up, and and even to that point, I was talking with one of our epidemiologists before you joined us, Nick. Uh, the hospitalizations, and as you mentioned, we never actually attained what they projected might happen here. And, and that's a good news story uh, as compared to New York State and some of the other places where they exceeded uh, what they were anticipating right now. So, I mean, we are doing something right. Not quite sure what it is, but we seem to be doing something right. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you've picked up on our polling through the Toronto Star uh, you'll see, you know, Toronto Star is going to be running some articles this week on the one-year anniversary, um, and then more polling that we've done. will um, Once they write about it, we'll be putting it up on our website, and I'm sure we'll talk again. But there's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, specifically in Ontario, that has gone better than a lot of jurisdictions that touch Ontario. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, that hasn't gone so well. And um, we can compare on how much money per capita has been spent during this time, debt taking on, taken on, job losses, economic output, uh, so on and so forth. But I think the majority of the public really is just like, let's get these vaccines so we can get back to work and get on with our lives. And people just want to get back to some more normalcy. It's it's funny how priorities change too. I mean, a year ago when we were having this discussion, and and we had no idea this the lockdowns or all this other stuff was going to go on as long as it has. Of course, we were told then it might be five or six weeks. Uh, that seemed to be one of the projections, and people were even complaining about that. But it was oh my god, you know, okay, we got to do this because we want to save our lives. Uh, but now it's like I want to get vaccinated because I want to go to a Jays game this year. I mean, you know, I want to get I, I, I want to do this. I want to go to the beach. I want to go to a movie theater. Uh, we're we're really suffering from the from the pandemic. Uh, a fatigue, I guess, and we're just looking for a way out, and 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 justifiably so. The vaccine is that way out for most of us. Yeah, and we see that in this in this batch of research that we did. That we have, you know, more people who are depressed, and more people who are upset, and more people who've gained weight, and more people who are worried about, you know, meeting their goals that they have set out for their lives. And, and we we see that in the in the research. People are telling us that. So. Yeah, fifty-three percent said they felt uh, more upset than before the pandemic, uh, which is an indicator that you know we've we've had enough, uh, and we're looking for a way out here. 
Uh, I, I got to tell you, and again, I, I, I get frustrated by this too when I see governments making these promises. And I understand that, okay, you know, we've got to prioritize this and we have to prioritize that. And we have to look after businesses, uh, people that have lost their incomes. And, and, you know, they tried to put programs out there and we can debate whether they were effective or not. But you would have thought that of that ha- massive organization that is the Canadian government, and I'm talking about the bureaucracy, somebody would have said, okay, who's looking after the vaccine program? I know we don't have one yet. Uh, we don't even know when it's going to come, but we should have a game plan. And I don't know that they did that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm a bit biased when I say this and take it with a grain of salt, but I really truly believe this. You know, I wouldn't take anyone who's worked in any bureaucracy for any government for more than 15 years and, and have them work at my company or have them even do my <laughs> landscaping or put them in charge of any project because. Those people do not live in the same world as most people do. They don't work the same way. They don't think the same way. They're just, they're, everything is about process and going through the motions and making sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And if they're wrong, it's about CYA covering things up and not being wrong and limiting liability. And, and, you know, in this, you know, in any type of pandemic or, you know, great world, um, issue that's grasped the planet, you know, it's really about leaders who take charge and get things done. And um, we've turned it over to bureaucrats who are just the opposite of that. They don't take charge and get things done. They, they worst case scenario, everything. Um, it's just, it's just, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from this once we get out of this. Well, and you need that expertise too. And, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to point to the Biden administration as the shining light here because there's a, there's a lot to talk about with them too. Uh, but they had guys that had some experience in that and with the Ebola thing and the Obamas, guys like Ron Klein and others, uh, that at least from what we're told when they got into the White House simply said, okay, let's get this act. We got to get our act together. And, and I don't know that that conversation was, was, was had in Ottawa that somebody just said, okay, look, shape up here. We got to, you know, we got to move on this thing. It says, like you say, they move incrementally and, and looking at short term stuff and, and, the fact that this rollout has not gone the way it should have gone, uh, or as effectively as it has in other countries, means somebody really dropped the ball here. And I know they're playing catch-up now, uh, and it just seems that, you know, the, the popularity of the government seems to ebb and flow every time we said, well, there's another vaccine coming in today. Uh, these guys still haven't got the message. They have to do everything right now. This should be the priority to make sure these things get in here, because according to your research on this stuff, Nick, that's the number one priority in this country right now. I want to, as you said, in increasing numbers i want to roll my sleeve up i want to get the vaccine i want to get on with my life yes and that number looks like it will continue to go up and soon i predict you know maybe two months maybe five months but 75 percent of ontarians will say they want the vaccine not only they want the vaccine but they want it right away as soon as it's available to them well hopefully the government's getting that message as well always great to get to the numbers from you guys because it really gives us a i think a pretty clear snapshot on how we're feeling about what has gone on with government and how they're dealing with this crisis situation uh stay well nick i know we'll talk again soon thanks okay, again for the thank time you. today thank you have a great day bye-bye nick Cavallis, of course the principal of campaign research uh giving us an idea that uh, i think a lot of us already knew that uh, we're not overly pleased or not pleased at all with the way the government's uh, vaccine pro- program is rolling out these days. And uh, we're looking for improvements. That's all there is to it. And and maybe maybe some of the stuff we've heard today about AstraZeneca and they're going to start using it on plus 65s, maybe that will help too. But it's all about supply and getting it to the provinces so they can get it in. I mean, every province, including Ontario, have told the prime minister and the federal government, look, at, we have the capacity to do a lot more inoculations. All we need is the product, the vaccine. Let's see if they can deliver. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.